This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. I hope everybody had a great weekend and, and has a great Monday as well. Uh, big week, obviously, for the Georgia Bulldogs. Another ranked opponent. The first true road game, really, since they went and played at Auburn in 2019. I mean, I don't really count Vanderbilt. And last year, there weren't many people in the stands. Uh, the bowl game even restricted crowds. But the last time they really faced a truly hostile crowd, you know, it was Jake Fromm to Dominic Blaylock over the top, you know, to really take the top off. It was a really good Auburn team. You know, a lot of people were very concerned about that. Thought that was very interesting, uh, you know, that it's been that long since George has played a true road game. But last week, I got to tell you, I want to recap that Arkansas game a little bit before we move forward. I was so impressed with the Georgia home crowd, the importance of playing between the hedges, the value of an on-campus top 10 matchup, what it meant to the city of Athens, the way the crowd responded, the amount of recruits that you were able to have on campus. I've said it before. I don't know why Georgia would ever want to give away any games that they don't have to play on campus. I brought up Georgia Tech. I brought up other neutral site games. And you saw why the way the Georgia fans came through flying colors. Kirby Smart said they're worth 10 points. You think about the very first Arkansas possession, you know, Georgia took care of business, drove down the field, opening drive, Arkansas, two motion penalties before they could even get off a snap. They're backed up in the shadows of their goalposts. They punted away. Georgia converts again, touchdown. You know, Arkansas, short field, crowd noise, backed up, blocked punt. Zamir White recovers 14 to zero before Arkansas knew what hit them. And they're thinking, we haven't even played any football yet. We've had three offensive plays, six offensive plays. You're down 14 to zero, down in distance situations. So important that Georgia had that home crowd. And the way that Kirby Smart had that team so dialed in, so focused, the way he challenged the crowd, the way the crowd responded, it's just such a special afternoon in Athens. I hope the fans really soak that in. I hope there's a lot more of that in the future for Georgia. I just think it's invaluable. I think when you look at the way the stadium's grown up, the way they've improved the West End Zone, the scoreboard, the setting, the town, it's just such a good scene. It's gotten better and better and better and better. It surpasses any NFL stadium, you know, that, that I've been around in terms of a college, true college game day. And oh yeah, the team is really good too. I want to talk real quick about the stock of these guys. Devontae Wyatt was amazing. Six tackles, two sacks against a really good Auburn offense, or excuse me, Arkansas offensive line. I was very impressed with Devontae. And he also won the uh, player of the week honors. If you take a look at the, what the SEC did for defensive linemen, um, he was right there and he deserved that honor. Adam Anderson, anytime there's a mobile quarterback, you're going to see Kirby deploy Adam Anderson. His ability to shadow quarterbacks, pass rush. He can also play pass cover. But, man, what a luxury. He is a first-round pick. He is a future NFL starter. Uh, exciting to have a guy that's 6'5", 240 with a 4'4", I mean, he's amazing. And, and Jalen Carter, what a disruptive guy he is in the middle. Then you flip it around in that fullback play. He literally blocked three guys. That's not an exaggeration. I mean, it, it sounds like folklore. That really happened. 
James Cook thought he put it all together. I mean, this is a guy who's put a lot of distractions aside. There's been times I've been down on James, off-field stuff, didn't think he ran well between the tackles. Well, listen, he shut me up. I think James Cook was the best running back in that game. Very impressed with him. Zamir had some nice runs. Kendall Milton with some that twisting, twirling run. I mean, that's that's some highlight stuff there from Kendall. And, and Darnell and Brock Bowers, right? Neither one of them caught a pass, but to watch them block and understand how that affects the run game and what that does to defenses as far as the type of personnel that they have to put out there, I think that's something really – that Kirby Smart can really exploit going down the road. You know, stock even, these are guys I wasn't really thrilled with. I mean, I don't think anybody's stock is down, but Kyrus just doesn't look great returning kicks. Look, he's trustworthy, he's reliable, he's a veteran, and he's earned it. But I think that Lad McConkey is more dynamic, and, and I'm ready to see Georgia put somebody back there that can make some explosive plays. You can be reliable and explosive at the same time, and Kyrus just doesn't look as explosive right now as I think you need to be to be a dynamic return man in the SEC. Todd Hartley, you know, he, he gets a lot of praise for recruiting and coaching up these tight ends. He also coaches the punt team. So give Coach Hartley credit for the punt block. He saw something. He drew that up. Conversely, there were three illegal formation penalties. I mean, that that stuff just doesn't happen in a program like Georgia. And you can bet that Coach Hartley is going to make sure that gets massaged and ironed out. Justin Robinson, here's a guy I'm super high on. You've heard me talk a lot about Justin. I think he's got a huge future, but he's got to get over the drops, and there's only one way to do it. He's got to put the extra time in after practice. He's got to go to the jugs and catch 200 balls a night. There's no shortcut, okay? It's in his head now. You know, you can't have drops and back-to-back games that hit you right in the hands. You just can't do that. You just can't do that. Everyone else is catching the ball. You've got to catch the ball. He's a tremendous downfield blocker. He's big. He elevates. But you've got to win the trust back. And the only way you're going to do that is with a ton of work. It's easy for me to say. It's harder for him to do. But trust me, this guy is a football player. And better days are ahead for Justin Robinson. But the last game wasn't it. Uh, Around the SEC, uh, a feature I also do on Mondays, I do this power poll, and I want to share the power poll with you. By the way, we're going to have a really special guest join us. Uh, Jordan Hill from the Auburn Opelika News is going to join us to talk about these Auburn Tigers in the upcoming game. That'll be coming up soon. We'll have Jordan with us. Uh, You know, you take a look at the power rankings in the SEC, and to me, they kind of mirror my national rankings. I've got George 1 and Alabama 2, and I've had it that way for a while. And and don't get me wrong, I I still think the Tide is the biggest obstacle. Uh, I recognize that the championship goes through Tuscaloosa. I'm not taking anything away, and and it doesn't have anything to do with me covering Georgia, right? I thought in 2017 Georgia was the best team in the country. I said that all year. Georgia is the best team in the country in 2021. Does that mean they're going to win a national championship? No. Does it mean they'll beat Alabama? No. But right now they are the best team. They have the best resume. They handled an Arkansas team that beat Texas and AM. Alabama beat an Ole Miss team that beat Louisville on the road. Okay, Louisville's three and two. The, the Alabama win over Florida does not look good anymore to play a close game with Florida. And then Florida loses to Kentucky. Really, Florida struggled in the first half against Tennessee. And now the, you know, you can't get too hung up on the transitive properties, but based on what and just, but just based on what I've seen. I just think this Georgia defense can handle any offense out there. Now, maybe if you wanted to turn back the clock and ask me, you know, could they beat the Joe Burrow LSU? Could they beat the Trevor Lawrence Clemson? Could they beat last year's Alabama? 
You know, I don't know, but they don't have to. They don't have to because those teams aren't there. Those teams aren't there. You've got to beat who's there. And the teams that are there are not as good offensively as those championship teams that I just mentioned. There's nobody that looks like 2020 uh, Alabama. There's nobody that looks like 2019 LSU. There's nobody that looks like 2018 Clemson, right? There's nobody looks like that. Nobody. Nobody's going to move the ball on defense as it stands. You got to keep guys healthy, but nobody is going to move the ball on this defense. I'm telling you, buy your tickets for Indianapolis right now because Georgia will be playing for the national championship. There's no doubt about it. It, it, it provided they stay healthy. And I just can't see the way Kirby is managing this. I just can't see uh, guys going down with injury. I just don't see it. I don't see it. I mean, this is the year. This is really the year. And, and the Arkansas game was, was just concrete evidence. Now, Arkansas was a little flat uh, after coming off a big emotional win. But still, I know what I saw. So here's how I have the SEC teams ranked right now. This is heavy on transitive properties, okay? Heavily on, if you know what transitive properties means, team A beats team B, team B beats team C, and therefore team A should beat team C. To me, those transitive properties are the, the most fair way. So number one, Georgia, number two, Alabama. I got Auburn number three. You say, well, Mike, you can't have Auburn number three. They almost lost to Georgia State. I know they did. But who else are you going to put there? Do you really believe Kentucky's better than Auburn? Maybe. Okay, Kentucky's number four. That where's Florida? Florida's five. Well, how do I have Kentucky ahead of Florida? Because Kentucky just beat Florida. So they're going to get ranked ahead of them. That's how I do it. I don't pretend like it didn't happen. Tennessee number six, right? Florida beat Tennessee. Tennessee, I thought, looked as good as anybody, including Georgia last. Now they were playing Missouri. Apparently Missouri's pretty awful. Florida five, Tennessee six, LSU seven, LSU seven. Yeah, LSU seven. Yeah, they got beat at home by Auburn. And they were lucky to win at Mississippi State. Arkansas, eight. Mississippi State, nine. Mississippi State, nine. That's right. They beat Texas A&M. Texas A&M, 10. Yes, 10. They lost to Mississippi State, and they lost to Arkansas. They can't be ranked ahead of them. Can't do it. Old Miss, 11. South Carolina, 12. Missouri, 13. And, and Vanderbilt is just, you know, I, I, I don't even want to. I don't even want to say the word. It just it makes me sick to say the word. How about Lane Kiffin telling everybody to have their popcorn ready? What a great moment! Kiffin talking smack, you know, thinking he's the man, you know, and telling everybody to have the popcorn ready, and then getting shut out in the first half by Alabama. That was a great moment. That was a funny moment. How about Mike Leach talking some smack after beating Mississippi after beating A and M, saying, you know, it's great to win at Kyle Field. I've done that before. Mike Leach, four and two at Kyle Field. Uh, Kentucky got a big fine for storming the field. They don't care. They don't care. Uh, and then Jimbo Fisher. Remember Jimbo before the season? Told everybody they were going to kick Alabama's ASSS. And now here he comes. He's getting ready to play Alabama this week. If you're AM, you're coming off losses to Arkansas and Mississippi State. And Alabama's coming to play you now. Boy, I wouldn't want to be Jimbo Fisher. Oh, wait a minute. He is making $9 million a year. So I, I can't have too much pity on Jimbo Fisher. $9 million is $9 million a year. He gets paid to play in those big games. But, uh, you know, just looking around the SEC, really looking around the country, you saw Oregon lose to Stanford. You know, I thought the Ducks might be a threat. This week you've got Penn State and Iowa. Are these the two best teams outside of the SEC? 
Or does Cincinnati belong in that discussion? Cincinnati went in and beat Notre Dame. I mean, those are three unbeaten teams there. Don't tell me Oklahoma. Maybe you think Oklahoma. Let's put Oklahoma in the discussion. Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Penn State, Iowa. Those are the four other unbeaten teams. I guess BYU's floating around out there somewhere. College of Charleston as well. Uh, or excuse me, Coastal Carolina as well. So, I, you know, does, do any of those teams, do you really feel like they belong in the conversation with Georgia and Alabama? I just don't. And, and this isn't just like one weekend that, that's making me say that. This is like observations over the course of the season. I uh, want to give you a quick practice report. We're almost to halftime. We get on the second half. Jordan Hill is going to join us. He covers Auburn for Opa, Auburn Opelika News. Really excited to have Jordan on. I went. I was in practice tonight and uh, went open practice. That's right. We have a practice report up. Got some guys trending here, okay? Tyke Smith out there. Uh, you know, I don't know what that means for the game. JT was out there too, but as Kirby told us earlier, JT not throwing the ball, just kind of doing the play fakes, going through the motions. He will not throw the ball. Kirby told us that earlier today. Uh, watched uh, George Pickens still out there, looking like he's making some cuts. Got the brace on, but let me tell you, Pickens looks good. Darnell Washington looked completely fine. He looked 100%. Let's hope the foot holds up. We've talked about those foot injuries and how difficult they can be. Dominic Blaylock, some bad news here. Left leg was heavily wrapped. He tried to run around. He came off the field, went to the trainers. Just it just didn't look good. He just didn't look good. I'm not saying he's out for the year. I'm not saying his career is over. I'm saying today he did not look good. No Arian Smith out there. No Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint. Uh, very narrow margin for error in the receiving core. You're very thin. Kirby brought that up today. Never been anywhere, he says, where you play three wide and you've only got six or seven guys available. So he's very concerned about the receiver depth. There's been a lot of transfers. Five receivers have transferred in the last year. Connor Riley is going to have a story about that in the morning. You're going to want to check that out on Dog Nation. So that's a concern. How about Stetson Bennett? You know, I really am warming up to Stetson. I'm more and more and more. I've always admired and respected Stetson Bennett. But this kid just tells it how it is, and he's funny. Some said, Stetson, do you think there's any team that out there that could beat you? He said, I don't know, maybe the San Francisco 49ers, right? Laugh track. Ha-ha. You know, but it was funny. Like, this is a guy who's grounded. This isn't a guy that's getting carried away with himself. And, and I respect and I like that about Stetson Bennett. And when he was asked did he consider leaving, he was honest. Refreshingly so. Like, yeah, I did. You know, it was a tough decision because I want to play. And he's right. You've only got a very short window of life to play this game. And those of you that play know what I'm talking about. Like I look back and I wish like heck I would have maximized. I wish I would have done more now. I look back and man, I wish I'd have been as focused and driven as a lot of these players I see in college. I wish I'd have been better coached. I wish I would have had more self-discipline. I wish I would have had a higher level of excellence. And Stetson is in the moment and realizes it. So of course he considered leaving because he wants to play. And at Georgia, Kirby, Kirby shared with us today that he wasn't getting those two reps. It was kind of handed to back. And Bennett, and Bennett was like, hey, I just want to compete. I just want to compete, coach. And you know what? He's competed and he's won the two job. He is the number two. We saw it. We saw what Beck's done with his opportunities, right? He threw a pick six and then he had trouble with the cadence inside of 10. I mean, I know everybody wants to see Carson Beck out there. I, you know, part of me wants to see it too. But look, if Stetson Bennett beats him out, he beats him out. 
And if Stetson Bennett is the guy that you can trust to help you win a national title with JT being kind of iffy this year, then you got to be ready to go Stetson Bennett. So the fact that Stetson almost left and told you that and told you it was only because he wanted to play, I like the guy even more for being honest about it. And I like the guy for competing. Look, he threw the ball 11 times. He doesn't care. He just wants to win, man. He's a winner. Stetson Bennett has won me over. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He's Rudy on steroids. He's a better version of Rudy. You got the best version of a walk-on that's made it big. He's beating Bam at halftime. He was beating Mac Jones and Najee Harris and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell and Alex Leatherwood and six first-round picks, and Stetson Bennett was leading Georgia over that Alabama team in Tuscaloosa at Bryant-Denny Stadium at halftime. That, my friends, is a that is a Hollywood story. And the fact that he's come back and he started a couple games this year, I, Stetson Bennett is irresistible to me. I, I know I was critical last year. I'm throwing all that out. The, the mental thing, you know, you got something that bothers you, write it down on a piece of paper, crumple it up and throw it away. The Griff criticism for Stetson Bennett has been crumpled up and thrown into a waste paper basket. I am a fan of Stetson Bennett. I am a believer, Jermaine King, because Stetson Bennett is a baller. That's all he does. You're not going to rattle the guy. You're not going to put him down. You're not going to hurt his pride. This guy's indestructible. And thank goodness for Georgia that he's still there. You better be glad that Stetson Bennett is still kicking and still around because he makes Georgia a dangerous team with his escapability and his running ability. Look, they don't have to win the national title with him. I don't want to hear any more haters. JT Daniels is going to be healthy enough for the Stets drive. But the fact that Stetson stuck, stuck it out is a big part of this national championship story that Georgia is authoring right now. I want to take a moment now. I want to take a moment. We talk about special. We talk about recognizing things. You know what we need to recognize? You know we need to recognize. You know special. When I say special and recognition and being there when they're needed, it's Ingles, right? Ingles. Ingles was there when we needed Ingles. We still need Ingles, but when, they, when the chips were down, when we were going through the pandemic and we didn't know where to turn, we had to get our goods from some. Who was there to deliver? Who was open every day? It was your neighborhood Ingles. I want to take a moment. I want to thank Ingles. And I want to recognize Engel's contribution. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, there's good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Welcome back to the program. I expect Jordan Hill to be joining us at any time. Jordan, a writer who covers Auburn for the Auburn Opelika News. And boom, there he is. Jordan, thank you so much for joining me tonight. We just got done with our first half of the production talking about some unsung heroes at, at Georgia. And Stetson Bennett, certainly uh, maybe not the biggest player in the world. The little big man, as I call him, though, he's come up big for Georgia. And uh, you may see him again at Auburn. Tell me what we're going to see 
from Auburn when the Georgia Bulldogs make that trip to Jordan-Hare Stadium. Well, I'll be really interested, Mike. Uh, you know, they're coming off of one of the biggest wins. I mean, certainly of the Brian Harson era since that's just getting started. But, I mean, they hadn't won in Baton Rouge since 1999. And, you know, I mean, the funny thing was listening to Bo Nix talk after that game. And he wasn't even alive the last time they won in Tiger Stadium. So, they're coming off a really big high. I think they're trying to to really focus in and really make the most of the offense and what Bo Nix brings to it. I think they really tried to kind of hone in and make Bo – I'd say more of a pocket passer in those first few games. The Georgia State game, they almost they almost lost. He only rushed twice. And, and as um, dynamic as Bo is, you're not going to win with him just being a pocket guy. He's going to make plays like we saw on Saturday night. So they've got a lot of momentum, but I think they recognize the situation they're walking into. This will be by far the best defense they've played. Um, and they know that if they're going to have a chance, they're going to have to find a way to do a better job running the ball, they really have struggled the last two weeks, which has probably been the biggest surprise so far this year. I mean, with Tank Bigsby and a true freshman, Jarquez Hunter, that's running really, really well. They really couldn't run the ball at all in LSU until really the last drive. And maybe without some of those big plays, we're talking about a different story as far as that game. But uh, no doubt Auburn's feeling pretty good. And But uh, at the same time, they recognize the big task that's ahead of them on Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. You know, that is interesting. It almost sounds like maybe Brian Harson. Does does Harson control the offense? I mean, who's kind of who's running the show here? Him or Bobo there at the offense, do you think? So the uh, understanding or, or what we've been told is that Bobo is calling the plays, is running the offense. But from everything we've heard, not only from Brian Harson, and we talked to Mike Bobo during fall camp, but also hearing perspective from some of the other coaches, uh, you know, that are going up against Auburn. They see it as kind of a mix, a kind of mix of the things that Bobo ran even back when he was at Georgia, um, but also what Mike ran when he was head coach of Colorado State and then going back as a coordinator at South Carolina. A lot of people see it as a blend between those offenses and what Brian did uh, at Boise State. It's a pretty big difference, a pretty significant difference from what Auburn was running, especially with Gus Malzahn. I mean, now we're seeing two tight end sets. We're seeing the tight ends get the ball a lot, which – a lot of people thought was possible with the coaching change, but to see it, I mean, at this point, really, John Samuel Schenker has become Auburn's go-to target, and that's who Bo has really hit a lot. He had a big completion to John Samuel in that game Saturday night. Um, so it, it looks significantly different, but, yeah, from our understanding from not what, what only the coaches at Auburn have told us, um, but also opposing coaches, they see it as sort of a blend between what Mike has done in the past and what Brian is known for from his time at Boise. You mentioned targets. I guess one of the guys that everyone in Georgia wants to know about is Demetrius Robertson. How does he fit into this Auburn offense? Well, you know, I think that he's not quite got the role that he looked like he might have in some of those early games. He played really well against Alabama State, um, had some moments in the opener against Akron, and then he's kind of fizzled out. I mean, he's had a few moments. I know uh, I think that that was the Georgia State game. He really didn't play at all. He was he was there. Uh, he was on the bike most of the time. So I don't know if he was dealing with like a hamstring or something like that. And then after the fact, Harson was asked about it. And he was like, oh, he was available. I mean, you know, he made it clear that like, you know, he was there and it wasn't like he they, you know, didn't think he was going to be able to play. So, so I'm not sure what that was. And I think he played a little bit uh, on Saturday night against LSU. So uh, they've got other receivers, I think, that have kind of taken a role bigger than him. Kobe Hudson's been a guy. Again, like I mentioned, John Samuel Shanker, they've done a good job 
working with the uh, tight ends. Um, so, you know, I would probably, you know, watch for Demetrius. He may get in the mix, especially with his speed, if they can find a way to utilize that, which is what they did in that big blowout against Alabama State. He had a couple uh, touchdowns where it was like 40, 50 yards. Um, but I would say when it comes to this game and, you know, who's really going to matter, I think they got a few receivers are probably going to target a little bit more than Demetrius. So Coach Harson uh, held a press conference today. He went over some of the players' health. Can you share some of the news on the Auburn status of some key players? Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, for the most part, it, it was a lot of uncertainty. Uh, guys that we were interested in and, and to see if they're going to be available Saturday. And Harson basically said they were going to watch a few of the guys of note. The biggest one is Owen Papo. He's a linebacker that is probably Auburn's most reliable or the guy you would maybe trust the most on that defense, along with Zacoby McLean, another linebacker. Uh, he did not play against LSU. He did not play against Georgia State. He got hurt in the second half of the Penn State game. Looked like a leg injury. I don't think we've ever gotten an official word, but just from the way he was walking off the field in that Penn State game, a uh, little like a leg injury. He basically said, you know, that they – Tried to get Owen ready for the LSU game. Basically, it came to game time, and he, he just couldn't play. Um, so he, he seemed hopeful. Uh, Harson seemed hopeful that they'll get Owen back. And then really the other big key question is T.D. Moultrie, who's a super senior who has been one of the pleasant surprises so far this fall, uh, has gotten a lot of pressure. I think he's got three sacks so far, has been a big piece of that pass rush. He did not uh, travel with the team for the LSU game. We haven't been given any indication why exactly uh, he wasn't there, uh, but we asked Brian today about his status, and he basically said um, he wasn't sure and he was going to leave it at that. But, you know, just based off that, I, I have the feeling TD's not going to be available. Um, but given uh, the LSU game, a guy to watch if TD is not available is EQ Leota. He's a guy from Northwestern that did a really good job of getting after Max Johnson on Saturday had a forced fumble, think he had a sack. Um, so having TD would be huge because he's got so much experience. But I think if he's not able to go, they've got a, a number of guys uh, that can rush the passer and, and can um, try to factor in and try to put a little pressure on whoever winds up playing quarterback for Georgia. Jordan, I know you've had an opportunity to travel with this team a little bit. Uh, your thoughts on that Penn State game? I guess just a couple things. I mean, is that was that a was that a, is that a game Auburn's going to look back and say we should have won? in your opinion? I think so, because the opportunities were there. I mean, and the funny thing to me about that game is as badly as the secondary played, Sean Clifford, who I mean, I could, from what I could tell from the, the Penn State fans I talked to leading up to that game that Saturday, they were comparing him sort of to Auburn's Bo Nix in the fact that, uh, you know, uh, he he has shown moments, but he's been so inconsistent. He has uh, done a, uh, a really good um, job, but has not been consistent. And then he went out there and had the most productive uh, game of his career. Statistically, uh, Sean Clifford um, had the, the best completion percentage of his entire career. And he's, I think he's a senior at Penn State, so he's been there for a while. But they still had a chance to win it, and it, it just came down. Uh, to a few plays and a lot of people, you know, I know a lot of Georgia fans that are probably watching this can remember uh, being aggravated, uh, being agitated by some of Mike Bobo's play calls. And, you know, Auburn called a, a fourth, a fourth down uh, fade, a fade route to Kobe Hudson when you got one of the best running backs in the nation and Tank Bigsby right there who had been having a pretty good game against Penn State. So, um, so yeah, I think it's one that they realize, especially given, 
the energy around that game, the atmosphere, there was so much buildup because it was the first wideout game for Penn State since 2019. And the stadium was loud, but you look at that and say, man, we could have beat what is now a top 10 team. And there were just a few plays here and there that we didn't make. And and that's why we're, we're looking at the situation we're in. Jordan, I'm not mistaken. You're a former red and black sports editor. So you, you've been to Georgia, Auburn. Let me ask you something. When we talk about the cultures at these schools, as someone that's experienced both pretty intimately, how would you compare Auburn and Georgia? What would be some, some differences and some similarities that you've noticed? Well, I think the biggest similarity is just, you know, the love for the program. And that's what's been really fun for me to see. I mean, I grew up in North Georgia, so I grew up, um, you know, pretty much everyone I knew was Georgia fans. And and that's been really fun to watch uh, the difference because obviously in Georgia, I mean, Georgia is the main team. And that's not the case here. I mean, the funny thing for me living in the city of Auburn is seeing so many Alabama fans, which is natural because, you know, Alabama has always – uh, you know, had that national spotlight. And clearly right now, I mean, they've been the class of college football for almost two decades at this point. Uh, but, uh, you know, as far as uh, the two, you know, programs, the fan bases, I think there's always that want to to go over the top and win that national championship. And obviously Auburn had that in 2010, but uh, they realize, you know, where they stand in college football and, and the the importance of all these games. I mean, you know, to, to hear from Auburn fans during that LSU game, one of my favorite things to do is just kind of gauge the fans on Twitter and see what they're saying. You know, they send gifts. I mean, they, they're on the edge of their seat, and, and it's no different for the Georgia fans. So, you know, as far as the biggest differences, I think it's just, uh, you know, understanding in the state that you've got Big Brother in, in Alabama and you've got the team that everybody looks at. And, and there's just nothing quite like an Iron Bowl where Auburn – um, I've been lucky in the time that I've been down here and, and I was in Columbus before, but the times that Auburn is able to beat Alabama, um, it, it just sort of turns the tables and it's really fun to see. And it's kind of interesting to me because I was actually thinking about this today, just how different rivalries are handled, because it seems like in Georgia, uh, you know, depending on basically how old you are or where you are in the state, different rivalries mean more to you than than others. Uh, but you don't have to ask that question here. Clearly, Georgia matters, but, I mean, it's Alabama. I mean, if they had the option of only winning one game a year, I know so many fans, they would say it's Alabama and they wouldn't even think twice. But they put Georgia over LSU? I think so. I mean, it probably depends, again, maybe on where you are in the yeah. state. Maybe if you're, like, around that Columbus area, east uh, Alabama, you might say um, – you might say Georgia, and then if if you understand, and I will say the fact that LSU is an SEC West team, that may make it different because that might have a little more weight uh, when it comes to, to trying to get to Atlanta. But I think for a lot of people, they would probably say that Georgia rivalry means a whole lot. You know, one of the other rivalry functions that's going on, what they're calling Beat Week, they're having the UGA alumni go up against the Auburn alumni, and they're trying to see who can raise the most donor money this week. There's a website for it. My producer, Michael Carvel is going to put that up. I mean, obviously, this is a rivalry with over a century of history. And for just the second time in the history of the Deep South's oldest rivalry, the schools are going to team up for this friendly competition off the field, call all the dogs and all the tigers near and far. October 4th through the 9th, it started today, they want them to show their school pride during Beat Week. So this one-week challenge to see with alumni, students, parents, faculty, staff, fans, all together – can get together, show their support, 
for the land-grant institutions at Georgia and Auburn. Georgia now looking for a second consecutive win in this Beat Week fundraising competition, and Auburn uh, hoping to even the score. So no matter what the outcome on the field, these teams are competing off the field, the teams of Georgia alums, Auburn alums, to raise the most money and to make a difference for their university. Again, my producer, Michael Carvel, can show you the link to that. You can see who's winning. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but uh, I think Harry Dog would be happy with the uh, current standing. So a lot of fundraising going on, something kind of fun. Georgia fans, Auburn fans, alums, putting their money forward to support the schools. And, and you're right, Jordan, there is a lot of love. Uh, I covered the Auburn Tigers when Pat Nix was on the team. That was my first Auburn beat in 1993, an illustrious 11-0 Tigers team, the best team that you never saw because they were not allowed on television. Pretty fascinating that the NCAA would take away a team's right to appear on television, but the 1993 Auburn team I covered was not televised, and that was a pretty sensational and fascinating year. And, of course, 1994 also uh, a great season for the Tigers as well. I think Terry Bowden won his first 18 games. Obviously, Brian Harson not off to that kind of start. Where does the fan base sit with Harson now? Because it seemed like people were making something out of him because he, you know, the way he he handled the, the COVID and whether he was telling people to get shots or not. And part of me just wonders, is this because he's an outsider and he's just that different because he's coming from Boise State? I mean, where is the where is the Auburn fan base at right now with Brian Harson? Well, I'll tell you, Mike, I think the biggest thing is to say that it has definitely changed in the last probably two, three days. I mean, when you beat uh, LSU and Baton Rouge, I mean, that's something as as much success as Gus Malzahn had. He never won in Baton Rouge. I mean, that was the big knock against Gus was he never won in Athens. He never won in Tuscaloosa and he never won in Baton Rouge. So I would say that that has definitely made Auburn fans maybe warm up a little bit to Brian Harson. But I think you're right in that when he was hired, I think there was cautious optimism. I think that people recognized that he was an outsider and he had never coached in the SEC. And, you know, that, I think that's valid things to have pointed out. But I think that they recognized, too, the amount of success he had at Boise. And, and obviously there was going to be a learning curve moving here. But, um, you know, I think that with the success that he was able to have year after year, and he was at Boise long enough, that you couldn't say, you know, well, he's riding the coattails of Chris Peterson. Clearly, Chris had done a lot to get Boise to the point it was at. Um, but Brian sustained it. And uh, I think uh, we were actually talking about this among some other beat writers. He really picked a good time to wind up leaving Boise. Uh, they were still sort of on the upswing. I think they had lost a few games his last year. But, I mean, with COVID, it was a shortened season and, and things like that. Um, but now Boise seems like it's going to be stuck in the Mountain West, and, and Brian was kind of looking to to move up and, and get uh, into a bigger situation with his alma mater. So I think uh, Auburn fans were cautiously uh, optimistic about Brian. I think the people that were really wanting a dream, you know, were comparing him to Urban Meyer because Urban was hired from Utah when he came to Florida and saying, you know, I don't think people are, you know, were saying he's the second coming of Urban Meyer, but they said, you know, that it's not unprecedented for someone to come from the Mountain West and have success in the SEC. And uh, so, yeah, I think they're they're feeling okay right now. Uh, there were definitely, you know, situations, like you said, with the COVID. And, and then, you know, after the Georgia State game, he fired his receivers coach after four games. And that, that 
raised a lot of eyebrows and I think rightfully so, but you know, uh, as well as I do that there's nothing that cures anything like winning and you go and beat LSU in the way you did and, and had Bo, um, you know, Bo Nix play one of his better games in his career. Um, I'd say the fans are feeling pretty good about how, uh, how things are going with Harson. Yeah, it's kind of exciting. Jordan, I want to put you on the spot and, and, and you know, I believe me, I'm on the spot every week with, with Feinbaum. He doesn't, the guy doesn't leave me alone. I, I can never say I don't know or I'm not sure. I've got to give him an answer. I want you to give me your opinion. I want you to look into your crystal ball and tell me what you see in the future for Brian Harson. Is this a guy who's going to be around for a while? Is this a guy who's going to have a win over Alabama or two? Is this a guy who can win an SEC championship? Do you have a gut feel right now over this is the guy or this isn't the guy? You know, I, I'll be honest and say I'm not I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. And the biggest thing that makes me say that is not really the coaching, it's the recruiting. You look at what Auburn's doing right now, they're still last in the SEC. And as good as a, of an X's and O's and as a tactician as you can be, you got to recruit. And you have to recruit. Right now is such a hard time for Auburn given – Look at the two powers truly right now in the SEC. It's Alabama and it's Georgia. Well, look who's wedged right in the middle. It's Auburn. Um, and and right now, I, I just don't think that he has the staff and I don't think that he's got the connections in the Southeast to be able to come in and really push and try to get those five stars and four stars. And, you know, you see it with the class they have right now. You cannot afford to have the very bottom of the SEC and think that you're going to be able to compete with these guys. And you can see, too, that he's not going to get a long leash. I mean, uh, Gus Malzahn was fired, and one of the big things that was, you know, made a lot of people upset and, and really wondered about firing him uh, was the fact uh, he never had a losing season. I mean, just think about being in the SEC for as long as Gus was to never have one losing season. So they took a big gamble, but with that gamble, they were telling whoever the replacement was going to be, and ultimately it was Brian Harson that we're aiming high, you know, that they expect to compete for national championships. And that was what Alan Green said when Brian Harson was hired was the expectation was to compete for national championships year in and year out. So the, the fact of the matter is that you got to do that. And, and if you don't have the Jimmies and Joes, I don't care how many trick plays you call, it's, it's not going to work. So um, unless they can, you know, either get this current staff to, to really hit the, you know, hit the ground running. I thought if they were able to start this season, you know, five and zero, six and zero, that might help with some momentum. Um, but then you had that Penn State game, and then you had the Georgia State game, which if they'd have lost that, I mean, you know, the clock is already ticking. Um, but yeah, so that's my feel for it. I think that they're just not doing what they have to uh, recruiting wise to have that chance. And again, that leash is going to be short, and you've got to beat Alabama before too long. And and people are going to pay attention too to this Georgia game and, and the Georgia games the next few years because if, if you can't compete with them, it's it's going to be noticed. Very astute, Jordan. Very astute. You know, and, and you're right. You've you've got to find a hook. Sam Pittman has been able to do it through the portal in two years. Somehow he's restored the faith. Uh, he he's he's built this energy even after the loss to to Georgia. I think if they beat Ole Miss, they recover and Arkansas maintains this momentum. And you say, how in the world can Arkansas win? Well. They just did it, right? And they were able to do portal. So what can Harson offer? I look at Tennessee right now. You know, Josh Heupel, that offense is kind of sexy. You know, I, I know it was just Missouri, but 62 points on the road in the SEC is 62 points on the road. And anybody that caught any of that Florida game, I mean, Tennessee was doing some things on the Gators too. Heupel's got some 
some stuff going that's going to attract some talent. So the question is, what can Auburn do to compete and get those players, not just in the four-year variety, as you mentioned, but the quick fixes that Kirby talks about, how to put a, maybe a better shade of lipstick on the pig until you can get those four-year classes. I like what you're saying, though, Jordan. I'm with you. Not convinced. I like the idea. I like grabbing the outsider. It reminded me when Tennessee hired Bruce Pearl from Wisconsin-Milwaukee. He came down. He outsmarted everybody in the league with his coaching, his X's and O's, until he could recruit good talent, and then the good talent started winning, and now you're seeing that at Auburn. Can Harson do that? You're right. He's on the clock. This game is pivotal. LSU was a was a savior of sorts, right? We were starting to have doubt. They lost at Penn State. They almost lost to Georgia State. You know, I said the week going in, I said the loser of LSU and Auburn will have a new coach at this time next year. I felt the same thing you did. The fuse was burning down. He's bought himself some time, but he needs to beat a, a, a Georgia or he needs to beat an Alabama. I know that sounds ridiculous, but you know, these are these are pressing times. How do you see this game playing out? You've seen enough of Auburn, and I know you know Georgia, right? You've been here. You're not ignoring the dogs. I know better than that, Jordan. How do you think Auburn can compare and compete with the Georgia Bulldogs Saturday at home at Jordan-Hare Stadium? Well, I'll say, you know, I think I'm very intrigued by what the atmosphere, if that affects Georgia at all, just in the fact that they haven't played in front of a, a really loud road crowd this year. And then obviously things were weird with COVID last year. So, you know, I'll be interested to see what the atmosphere is like as far as the noise, if that affects whether it's JT Daniels or Stetson, um, if that plays in, in the factor at all. To me, I just don't really see a way that Auburn competes. And to me, it's all about – what really wound up deciding last year's game is the line of scrimmage. I think that Georgia's defensive line is going to be all over Auburn's offensive line. I mean, if anyone goes back and watches the Georgia State game, I mean, they were having trouble with Georgia State. And, uh, you know, credit to uh, the Panthers, um, but I think Georgia's going to be a little bit better than Georgia State. And, and I think it's the other way, too, on the Auburn offensive line and the I should say the Auburn defensive line, they have got to generate a pass rush. They were unable to do that against Penn State. They did a much better job against LSU, but that's an LSU offensive line that has been much maligned. It's been really one of their weaknesses, which Ed Orgeron, after that game, he raised some eyebrows because he said he thought LSU's offensive line was going to be one of their strengths, and it has been a real struggle. Um, so I just don't see Auburn being able to win at the line of scrimmage, and you know, that's that's how this conference, how games are won and lost. And as much as we might see Bo Nix uh, run around in the backfield and try to make plays, he may get a few of those. But at a certain point, there's going to be a breaking point where either he makes a mistake or there's a lot of three and outs. So, yeah, in, in my mind, it's all about the line of scrimmage. And, I mean, unless Auburn has by far their best game, uh, specifically on the offensive line, I just don't see them keeping up with Georgia and, and be a – uh, another uh, another tough loss, and it'll be the first. It would be the first home loss of the season for Auburn. Jordan Hill, he's a former sports editor of the Red and Black, right here in Athens. And Jordan, you're doing great work. Tell people where they can find you on social media. For sure. So it's at Jordan Davis Hill on Twitter, and then uh, at AU Blog. That's where all our stories go up. All the all the stories on Auburn and, and the previews for the upcoming games. And so we'll be all over that. We'll have all kinds of Georgia and Auburn content getting ready for Saturday. And then come Saturday, we'll have photo galleries and videos and podcasts, all kinds of good stuff getting ready uh, for another edition of the Deep South's oldest rivalry. I'm looking forward to it. 
It's great coverage. I got to ask you, is, is, is a Griffith, I, I believe me, I, I hear the Andy Griffith song whistled at me every year. When Jordan Davis, Jordan Davis, Georgia emerged, did you go, oh, hell. <laughs> I mean, because everybody knows Jordan Davis. You're, you're Jordan Davis Hill. Not that Jordan Davis. Was it kind of, or, or, and just your thoughts on Jordan Davis in general. So two things, the name thing, and now your thoughts on 99. Well, hey, he's the superior Jordan Davis. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put up the fight with that. And hey, if they needed to di- differentiate, since I'm down here in Auburn, they could call me Jordan Davis. You know, I've oh. been called, I've been, I've been called Jordan seriously by a few people and had to correct them. They're like, no, it's it's Jordan. But I mean, he's been excellent. I thought about uh, at uh, at media days uh, trying to get a picture with him and having Jordan Davis and Jordan Davis Hill. But he's done a great job, and it's nothing new for me. Penn State a few years ago had a Jordan Hill. And uh, and the Pacers, I think there was a basketball player named Jordan Hill. So I'm used to it. But it's good to share a, a name with a guy that's just a little bit more athletic than I am. Well, I'll tell you what, you're making a name for yourself in the journalism industry. And you did a great job with your breakdown tonight, Jordan. I really thank you for coming on. I look forward to reading and following your work this week down there. Um, outstanding job tonight. Really enjoyed it. Um, thanks for joining the program. It, it, it was great. Uh, we really covered a lot of bases tonight. I'll, I guess I'll tell one story before I sign off. In 1993, when I came and covered that Auburn team, and I was just thrilled to have a job in the SEC. I'd networked for two years, calling the Mobile Register, asking them for a job. I was working in Idaho. I think they got sick of hearing from me. And they said, look, we don't have a job, just like we didn't have a job the week before, the week before, the week before. But there is a job in Aniston covering the Auburn Tigers, and we think you'd like that. So I, I made the trek, and I went to Anniston, Alabama to work for the Anniston Star and covered the Auburn Tigers and made that drive through the Cheehaw National Forest through the middle of the night to cover Auburn basketball games back at Beardy's Memorial Coliseum when Auburn basketball was really, really, really lousy uh, for the sake to cover football. And for about the first two weeks, uh, I was telling everybody how excited I was to cover Auburn at Jordan-Hare Stadium. And, and one day, finally, the SID pulled me aside and said, look, if you're going to cover Auburn, you got to say the stadium name right. It's Jordan Hare. I said, but it's spelled with an O. Trust me, Jordan Hare for Suge Jordan, Mike. I never forgot that. And Auburn folks have a certain way. There's a certain pride there. I went and covered Alabama afterward. And Alabama's got their thing going. But, you know, there's a real tribalism in Auburn. And it's a real tight-knit family. And they really love you when you're in that little cocoon there, Jordan. I know those Auburn fans have tried to recruit you because they tried to recruit me too. They put their arms around you. They tell you how glad they are to have you. Let me tell you, the minute you leave, they're going to hate your guts. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It is what it is. The Auburn fans, are they're, they're special. They got a chip on the shoulder, and it's a tough its a tough way to go being an Auburn Tiger. But they, uh, they'll have that War Eagle circling, man. They're going to be ready and hoping for – for big things and their crowd will be a factor. So I want to sign off from everyone tonight. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32. Really glad that Jordan joined me tonight. He did an outstanding job. I hope you guys have a great week tomorrow night. Connor Riley, uh, the Wednesday night, Jeff Centel with all that Centel Intel. He's going to have more stories on uh, big Barry Alexander. Maybe he's back to bleeding red and black again. I don't know. And then of course, Thursday it's cover four. So everyone have a wonderful week. Enjoy the game week. We'll keep up with JT Daniels. What did I hear? He did he roll over and hurt it? We'll we'll keep you up on JT Daniels' status tomorrow. Check out our reports on dognation.com.